You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, my guest today is Rachel Bonds. Rachel is a wonderful playwright, and she was a great guest for me to have this week because Frankie and I have been going through it with the sleep deprivation right now with the baby. Got a little bit of the sleep regression going on for her, which means we're all not sleeping very well. And I was just a little bit underwater. We had such a great conversation, Rachel and I, and I really needed it. But I can hear, listening back when I was editing, I can hear myself formulating questions a bit more slowly than usual. Um, And the audio isn't perfect, but Rachel's voice comes through really strongly, really clearly. Her story is beautiful. And I'm really happy with the episode, even though it's not perfect in a lot of ways, in a lot of uh, cosmetic ways. Rachel is a wonderful writer. She's a really thoughtful artist. And I wanted to continue the conversation a little bit that she started with her essay that she wrote for HowlRound.com last fall. It's called Working Like a Mother. It was published on September 11th, 2018. And it kind of went viral in the theater community online. So if you can go read it, please do. I will put the link in the show description. And I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I think Ceci is going to start sleeping better again soon. But keep your fingers crossed for us, because she is the best, but even better when we're all well-rested. I hope you enjoy the 130th episode of The Compass. definition of the dark side uh, I guess that's the second part of the question is what does that mean to you okay I mean, it's, it means something different to, to everyone. everyone but whenever I say it people seem to have an idea yep. of <laughs> what I'm referencing sure for a lot of people it's like you know comparison uh-huh financial stuff or yeah yeah I mean uh, yeah that makes a lot of sense I Oh, I'm sweet girl. <laughs> gonna let you know what it is. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's probably about, well, it's two things. It's certainly comparison. There is that whole, like, um, like keeping your eyes on your own paper, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like I used to, I used to work here in Astoria at a yoga studio and like I got very it was when I first moved to New York and I was like watching all of my friends um, take off in various ways. And I still felt like, what am I, am I an actor? Am I a writer? I don't know. I'm not really doing well at either right now. And I, um, I ended up working at this yoga studio and I just took like took yoga every day and sometimes twice a day. I just was a place to be, I think. And I needed a community, but I got real, I think I really loved it because they were just like, stay on your own mat you know and that just like that idea of like staying in your own your own little square and just doing what everything at your own pace yeah um of all the things to stumble into when you're trying to find your way like 
having yoga be such a constant in your life. Yeah, it was it was pretty great, and I'm I so miss the fact that I used to do it. Like I literally did it every day, and I was I think it was probably the healthiest um, I've ever been, probably during that in a in a way. I was also it was like my first few years in New York, so of course you're not healthy, you're like crazy. Right. I was not sleeping a lot, but um, but I was learning a lot, and I think I got really. I think the reason I kept coming back was just that idea of staying on your own mat and like just accepting that things are going to happen at their own pace um, and usually exactly how you didn't expect. And that's still really hard to accept, you know. Um, yeah. It's a thing to talk about too that it's not about, you know, doing the pose exactly perfectly yeah looking a certain way yeah it's just the fact that you're breathing mostly yeah yeah entire hour or whatever it is yeah and I think that idea of it looking a certain way was a big deal for me to get over um yeah and I think in terms of career stuff it's it's so hard to stay on your own mat. <laughs> it just, it just really. I mean, you just can't help but you know read the New York Times and just feel like I wish that was me. I wish. Yeah, I. It's just so hard not to do that. But I also think um, it's great to have people in your life who give you perspective. Like every time I feel kind of down about where I am or how slow I feel like I'm going or how unimportant I feel, whatever that means. Robbie's like, my husband is, is a very good, um, sweet girl. <laughs> He's really good at um, pointing out, well, where were you two years ago? Yeah. And what, what are you doing now? Yeah. This is actually what you're involved in right now is such a big deal. You would have been so grateful to have this thing two years you know it's and that's really helpful just to have other people who've seen you grow um have some outside perspective on where you are so that the comparison thing is certainly a dark side and I think for me it's just about keeping my head down and writing it's just like just write and I just always tell myself, like, well, if the work is good enough, it will just speak for itself, which is maybe really arrogant <laughs> or stupid. I don't know, because I, I do think you have to do some, like, marketing of yourself, which is the stuff that I hate. Um, yeah. And I don't spend a lot of energy doing it. Yes, and that's probably, like yeah, <laughs> I, I'm really not great at that stuff, um, especially since having a kid where it just feels like, Am I really going to spend my energy schmoozing? Ugh. Can't think of anything I'd rather do less. But I always felt like, well, if the work is good, it doesn't matter. But that's not really true. Like you, it, the, the work is good, that's number one. But you also need to have relationships with people. And I, I like people. <laughs> like I, I like going to parties, you know. But it is, um, it is taxing. And I, I don't have a lot of energy left over right now for that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other dark side, I would say, is just that idea of, like, what am I supposed to be doing? And for me, it's, like, every playwright I know writes for TV. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, a big part of that is a financial, because it's just impossible to yeah. live as a th- or someone who writes for theater only. Um, and I think at some point I will write for TV, but I don't right now, and I haven't been actively trying to. And so, and uh, there are days where I'm like, I'm, I suck. Like, why? I should be doing that. I should be doing it. And I'm just not. Um, but I think it's because my heart's just not in it right now. So, yeah. I don't know. I, when did you think that that started? <laughs> the whole the thing where, like, playwrights were really I think since we're consistently working in TV. Yeah, I mean... I guess since the golden age of television started again, you know, like I guess with the Sopranos is when, yeah, you know, TV started so. getting really good again. Yeah, that was definitely my experience with the, the playwriting program at Juilliard. Yeah. All of those playwrights since I was there 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Have been pursued, and then I guess so much of it. Them, so. Yeah. 
is about um, technology and net the stream just streaming because now there's so many more shows out there. I mean, we're inundated with content, so there's just so many more opportunities for writers. Yeah. So you said you like you like to tell yourself to keep your head down and just mm-hmm. keep writing. What is your like the structure of your day to day life these days? What have you found that's productive for you? And I think it's still a work in progress, but um, right now we have a sitter three days a week for four hours. Mm-hmm. And during those four hours, I go to an office. Robbie and I share an office. Um, and if we both need to use it, one of us goes and works. And we're in like a co-working space. So if one of us needs privacy in the office, the other one goes like in the common area. And you can work in there too. But um, So your son is two? He's two. That's He's right. a little He's over two now. now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and your husband's in the arts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. Big time in the arts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have about, because it takes me about 15 minutes to walk to the office and 15 minutes to walk home, um, I have about three and a half hours to work three times a week, which is not a lot of time. But I do think I can be efficient when I need to be. But it, what it doesn't leave is a lot of time for like letting your brain wander and I really, I think that um, I miss that. Just having like, I think if I had six hours, maybe I could just like wander a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The three and a half hour thing makes it feel a little more product oriented. I'm like, well, I got to bang out, you know, I only have this amount of time. So yeah. I better like write 10 pages so or whatever it is. Yeah you've had to change your process in that way yeah and I I work more slowly I work in more fragmented ways but also my brain is drained sometimes you know it's just taking care of a kid is so consuming as you know (laughs) it's like (laughs) yeah I mean it's so it just drains you it's also of course really joyful but it does drain your energy and your creative energy too that's starting to shift more as he's older but um yeah it's it's really hard to focus sometimes you have to like I definitely have to turn off the internet I I set a timer for 20 minutes where I'm allowed to respond to emails and then I like not allowed to look at email anymore I just like give myself those 20 minutes to do email and then and then I'm like okay writing space so you do have to like make all these rules for you or at least I have to make rules for myself oh, for time just it disappears like really fast just... and some days I just feel too writing just feels too hard and I just stare at email instead and just like read things on the internet uh, you know um just because I was like I think this is all I can face today (laughs) um and I I think that's okay it doesn't feel great when I'm doing it and of course I always feel guilty but there is something to be said for some leisure time too in terms of having a creative brain I think how did you feel like after after you guys had your son you know there's there's not much space allowed by society for yeah. recovering from that. And yeah. I guess people are kind of used to the idea, even though not many people get it, used to the idea of like a maternity leave. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like that mental toll. That yeah, the mental toll. You. Yeah. And you know, like not wanting to show any. We- yeah, because you don't want to seem weak. No, and you don't want people to say, oh, I knew it. She can't. Yeah, do she this can't do it. Exactly. Kid. But you're also dealing with the reality of. And, sleep deprivation. And like Frankie and I are both dealing with yes. sleep deprivation. Um, but which, also just emotional. But that's the way you think. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But you feel like you're not allowed to. I know. To deal with any. Like of that as I was time. telling you, some days <laughs> I can't even write. It's too much. I was like, I shouldn't say that because I'm gonna appear to be a, f- a weak, a weak woman. Because it does. You. I know. I always hesitate to talk about. Um, 
because I, I don't want to not be considered as an equal to my male counterparts or my non-parent. I don't know. You know, I, yeah, no, it, it is like... You don't get the same work done on another day. But yes, it is. It's really hard to be seen as when you have your kid to... I think a lot of us feel like I can't show weakness. Whatever. But I think our idea of weakness is wrong. Yeah. And that's something that needs to shift. Yeah. Because yeah, our brains are just doing double work now. Because you're both thinking, taking care of yourself and your work, but also a whole other human being. And that also goes for people who are like taking care of a family member, not even a child. You know, I've done that too. And it's just caretaking in any way yeah and th those are things that you'd think that the theater would be even more understanding about yeah as the like an empathetic group yeah because people I mean think about humans yeah it's about humanity <laughs> yeah about humanity in a I mean it's way. supposed to be um, but I feel like sometimes there can be such a kind of a scared atmosphere of like scarcity yeah that people feel yes. like I, I can't even ask for that day off to go deal with this personal thing. I can't yeah. do this because otherwise we'll get somebody else. Yes. When really, like, everybody deals with that stuff. Yeah. It all just feels so dramatic. And um, I think because it, I guess it all relates to, it all goes back to money, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, that I that sense of scarcity. There's just not enough money for anyone. <laughs> no <laughs> one's making enough. Everyone's working really weird hours. Um I think that it all goes back to that. That sort of creates the feeling of scarcity. Um, well, let's jump around a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So you said you started out um, as a grifter. I know yeah. That. Yeah. And I saw yeah. that you went to Brown. I went that, to Brown. Because mm -hmm. you moved to New York right after that? Uh-huh. Well, with no thought. I just was like, <laughs> I guess this is what we do. And where <laughs> did you like, grow up? Uh, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, a little college town uh, called Swanee. And so Providence was like a great middle city for me to uh, start living in a semi-urban environment. Right. I mean, I was on a college campus. And like that, you know, that area of Providence is very bougie. But I had never lived anywhere urban before, ever. Um, so it was like a good, it was a good sized city for me to start to feel what it was to live in anything remotely urban and then to go to New York from there was was good I'm, I mean I I spent actually spent a semester living here when I was a junior I, I just needed time away from my dad passed away in the middle of sophomore year and I I like never got to go abroad because it all kind of just happened that year and so and I never did any of those things I was supposed to you know I just didn't get my act together to like to do a semester abroad so I I just took time and went did a program here at La Mama oh, <laughs> like a very strange experimental <laughs> solo performance program but it allowed me to write and act because um, I was writing for myself um, but the best thing about that program was just go like getting to live here and um seeing stuff we saw like part of the thing was that we all had an internship and then um and I had an internship at here art center mm -hmm. which was great um I finally got to do a show there a couple years yeah ago it's such a it cool like, it's such a cool place it's just, it's just a little theater but yeah it was one of the first places I had seen a friend's show yeah before I it's even a great place York, yeah I, I was so excited when yeah. I got to do it. And they have a puppetry and... program, which is also yeah. so cool. Very yeah. Cool. So I had an internship there, and I and then, and then we just saw things. And we saw a lot of – I mean, it was so cool that it was at La Mama because we saw, like, a lot of experimental stuff, mm -hmm. weird stuff in Bushwick, and then we would see, like, Carolina change. So I, we, I just got exposed to a lot of things I wouldn't have otherwise. It was great. It was a great way to spend my <laughs> my like grief-stricken junior year, <laughs> like of being totally paralyzed and not really knowing. I was like, I don't think I can be in school right now. It was just too hard to meet deadlines, and 
Not that there weren't deadlines for this program, but it was different. It was really helpful. It was really helpful. Yeah. So I spent like a a little bit of time living here and I ended up staying that summer and doing the acting intensive at the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just really funny to think about now that I did that, but I did, Uh, which was also great. And I met so many people there. Um, So then when I moved here for after graduation, it was like less intimidating for that reason. It was still awful. (laughs) (laughs) I I had, oh, such a shock. And I had horrible insomnia that whole first year. I would just, I would stay awake. I had like, I think I was having really bad anxiety, like full blown panic attacks, but I didn't know that's what they were. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would just stay up like in my room until 5 a.m. And then when the sun came up, I was like, okay, I can go to sleep now. It was all about anxiety. I think it was like the dark was freaking me out. I like couldn't fall asleep when it was dark. Were you writing much at that time? Not really. A little bit. Yeah. I was starting to try to focus on it more because acting, I was like, I don't know if I should be doing this or not. Um, How did that, how did that transition change? Yeah. When did you first start thinking of yourself as a I spent that year when I first moved here not sleeping. (laughs) I worked for Jim Carnahan Casting. Um, (laughs) I cried every day in the bathroom at the roundabout. Um, Even though I, and but then I actually like they like took me under their wing and were really cool. But it took they like hazed me at first. Yeah, but I learned a lot for that job. I learned a lot. Um, And then I would just, like, sleep between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. I would just sleep, like, two hours a night. So bad. And um, then I that summer I applied to do the city company uh, intensive in Saratoga Springs. And I was like, this seems cool. I like experimental theater. Oh, baby, baby. Yeah. So I went and I got in, which I was like, this is a sign. So I went to Saratoga Springs. I met a ton of people and I met a bunch of people who were in the directing program at Columbia because Ann Bogart runs it. So, or did. I don't remember if she still does. Anyway, I met the city company. I met a lot of like wonderful people there and uh, people were doing devised theater. Um, So I got just interested in that. And um, just from there, I just started kind of focusing more on my writing. Oh, little girl. You're so close. Yeah, well, after I came back, I just, I started working. I, like, did some projects up at Columbia with the directors up there. I just... I don't know, I just got a little more interested in devised theater, and that kind of led to me writing more. Um, And I was always writing, but I, and I was taking some classes here and there, but I, um, I didn't really know what I was doing, so I I just would kind of, like, experiment, and, um... Were you writing still mostly for yourself? I was at first, and then it I was writing a lot of monologue plays, and then then I started to shift into dialogue right around the time I met Robbie. I think I, I, I honestly think I was using that kind of writing to deal with my dad's death. It was like I just needed to like write from the first person and like write out that experience. And then when I got a little bit of distance from it, I was I could like separate myself from the work and write about other people (laughs) um so like a few years I think I honestly think it was all about dealing with with that loss and then once I had a little distance from it I could write um for more characters than myself makes sense yeah and then how did you go I, yeah, what did I do? I, um, 
I took a, there used to be this company Voice and Vision, which was uh, all about female writers. And I took a class with Lisa Damore there. That was really helpful. I developed a play in her class. Um, and then I, um, I did another little workshop. I don't even remember the name of it. But it, Lindsay Furman, who is the literary manager at uh, EST, was leading this workshop with two other people just to like develop a script and um so I took that with her and I that relationship really helped um she was really encouraging of my writing and I worked on a play in that class too and just like having like a classroom environment but wasn't it wasn't in a grad program it was just like a little workshop you know it was like eight weeks or something and just having that experience of being in a group and having to have a deadline and um, having a dramaturg. She was like Lindsay served basically as my dramaturg. That just helped me keep going, I think. And her, she encouraged me. And I think I just needed somebody to say, like, You're, you should keep writing. <laughs> and also Robbie was saying the same thing. He, Because um, I was still like, should I be acting? Um and he just said, listen, I think acting is where you will shrink and writing is where you will expand, which was what I was feeling. You know, I was like, I feel like I have to put myself in this weird box for to perform or I'm or I feel like I'm pushing up against like I'm supposed to look a certain way if I'm going to play that part. You know, it just felt too confining to me. I also think I'm a person who really likes to be in control and yeah yeah oh little girl yeah no worries oh my god don't be sorry girlfriend heck yeah um i like seeing her little face she's so sweet she's got a good face um that's such an interesting way that he put it. Those yeah, and it shrink versus and in my mind it was like a very dramatic moment, and like the next day I was like, goodbye acting. <laughs> well, that's what I was Hello asking. writing. Like that in my in my memory, that's what it was. It was like this big turning point. Like that night, I was like, made the transition, and I'm sure it was much slower than that. But it that made a big impact on me because I think it was what I was feeling, but couldn't put into words. Was there any um, sense about letting that? Yeah. For sh- yeah, definitely. But I also was noticing that when I was reading or hearing about my co- my classmates from Brown, especially um, who were succeeding in the writing world, I was so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So the people that you were comparing yourself to. I just found that I was like, I'm was so jealous. World. I'm so insanely jealous of them. So that was also interesting. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was. I mean, I was like, I there was something that I longed for. Um, and I think I wanted to be creating the worlds. And I had come to respect writers so much and like feel like really starry-eyed about them. And um, of course, I had always been writing like since I was a kid. Uh, but I had never considered myself a writer even though I took so many writing classes in college it was like what I was focusing on really but I still didn't consider myself a writer and then after that whatever that fateful night (laughs) when he said that I just kind of flipped I just stopped trying to act at all the last thing I did was an um production of the cherry orchard at columbia with one of the directors there which was fun but again i was like i don't really enjoy this that much anymore um and i love actors like i love them and i love being in the room with them and that's why rehearsal is so it's just my favorite part i mean there's some there's a high you get off of when you're like early in the flow of writing something new and you're really in it and that you do just it feels really really good but a lot of the time it just feels really, really hard. <laughs> I mean, it's both. Um, but there, I think I just love rehearsal. Yeah, you have those two extremes of like that 
part of the process. Yeah, it's so super. I it's super lonely, but also, and, part that's so and I and that is that's that's me. I think I'm an introvert, um, but I also like parties. <laughs> you need both. I do. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how much I I I, I get like a little bit into uh, um, astrology, and it like it lines up. All of my signs and moons and suns and all that line up exactly with that. Um, Have you found any collaborators that you've been able to work with several times? Yeah. Yeah. I um, Yeah. So Mike Donahue and I work together. He's directed almost all of my plays. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Yeah. I mean, we work together over and over again because I he's also just a very dear friend now. Um, but he, he is a really good, he's just really good <laughs> because he's very specific and the language that I write is very, the punctuation down to like how many H's are in the, yeah, like it all needs to land. Cause there's like an event in each little mm-hmm. thing and the events of the play are usually small and emotional and they they could be missed. So he's just so good at pulling them out and lifting them up. He's also very, very good with actors, and I think I I write for act I write plays for actors. I guess everyone writes plays for actors, but I I <laughs> well, feel like I I know what you mean. Though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm interested in um, everyone has to be pretty emotionally vulnerable, but also very athletic with language. I think my plays demand a lot of people and he is really kind to actors and that's important to me. Um, That doesn't mean he doesn't get tough when he needs to, but um, he leads with his heart, I think, and that feels right. I think that's why we're a good match. Um, He's also, I mean, I say he leads with his heart, but he's also incredibly smart. (laughs) He's... (laughs) got the brain and the heart so we we work together a lot um and then annie kaufman and i have worked together we only did one play but for some reason it feels like we've done a lot of work together i guess because we did a workshop before we did the actual production but um i've just been trying to find find another project to do with her because i that was a really i loved that collaboration she really gets like deep in the trenches with you in the rewriting and um I love that also she's very specific and and um her brain is just works at a pace that uh, is difficult to keep up with um but I I I just trust her so deeply yeah so those have been my I I mostly work with Mike to be honest yeah at least in the past few years yeah, I mean, it's kind of like an artistic marriage of sorts. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has it with other writers, too, but I <laughs> um, I really like working with him. What are some of the things about like the way that new plays are developed in the U.S. that you find really helpful as a writer or mm-hmm. maybe um, a little more frustrating? Like there's this whole circuit of yeah. development. yeah. When you can really get stuck in development hell where you just, I think readings are kind of the worst thing ever. Mm. They never are good. (laughs) They never feel good. No, I mean, a workshop is really helpful. I find that so helpful when you're just in the room for however many hours, 29, doing table work work and discussion. And I rewrite frantically the night and then we bring in new pages the next day I get so much work done during a workshop I find those so so useful I find readings about they're like auditions I mean a reading is really about inviting industry people to come hear your play and decide whether they like it or not you usually have like four or five hours of rehearsal which for my plays I think this is true of anyone's plays but because the events are so small and emotional and they take a lot of uh, work from the actors it's and because they're like easily missed it feels really hard to achieve 
the arc of the play in a five-hour rehearsal. I think that's true. Most playwrights would say readings are deathly, but <laughs> I think when I have had readings, they often, people come and are like, nothing happened in that play. Um, you know, because it was just so hard to achieve the right. events and pull them out and lift them in four hours of rehearsal. Because you're so worried about like who's at what music stand when. In which stage direction? Yeah, and it and the whole thing is just such a, um, it's so process. I mean, it's so sorry. It's so product oriented. It's about, uh, and you almost end up. I think sometimes we cast the wrong people because they'll do well in a reading because they have like high energy. They can sell it. Because that's what people want, you know. But they're actually not right for the play. I don't know. I I, I haven't had a reading in a long time, <laughs> which is maybe good, but also feels like nobody knows that I write plays anymore. <laughs> um, I used to have them all the time, and now I I think yeah, it's really slowed down since the kid. But um, they can be so detrimental too. I've had one good reading, I think. And I, I even left being like, that went awesome. But that, I've only ever had one that I thought was good. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's interesting to me that um, you hear so many times about how theaters for new plays yeah. are only really interested if they're the first production. Yeah. The world premiere Yes, production. yes. And that's really frustrating. Um, which, to me, it just doesn't seem that important. I know. It's a play that you like. Then you I decide. know. Please be the second yes, production. Yes, I know. It's probably going to be a better production, the second production, because the writer will just be more confident in the work. Yeah, it's really t- that's really tough. I have so many plays that are just, you know, one-offs because mm. they're just not interesting to people anymore. They've already done once, so and that's that's, that's sad. It makes me sad that they yeah, lived briefly. Yeah, and they're plays I really liked. Like the first project Mike and I did together is this play called The Wolf Twins, which we did at Studio Theater in D.C., uh, which is I love working there. Um, and I, it was one of my favorite working experiences I've ever had. I just really enjoyed working on the play. The cast just had this sort of magical chemistry, um, and it just died after that. Like We did it. It went really well. It was well-received. And then nothing ever happened. <laughs> and that just makes me sad for the play because I, I really liked that play. Um, and that happens too much. I know there is some like this like sparkly thing about having the world premiere. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There's lots of things I want to talk about, but obviously one of the things when I emailed you was wanting to talk about being an artist and a parent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's something you've been going through the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Frankie and I are just embarking on it. And you wrote this essay that you've published on HowlRound.com yeah um, was in September mm-hmm. is that right yeah I remember it was the day I weaned Quinn officially and then I published that article <laughs> I was like this is interesting timing that is interesting Oof. yeah um, and I hope everyone will go read it but it just to summarize I guess it's all about being a working playwright yeah. with a kid and the difficulties that that brought up and the choices it made you have to make and yeah also offering some solutions solutions. yeah um what made you put it down on paper um (laughs) (laughs) honestly um a few things one of the like silly shallow things is that um I had been nominated for I was or I was a finalist for was it a nomination or a final? I don't even remember what it was exactly for a Steinberg Award for this play, Curve of Departure. 
I don't know if it, I was a finalist or I was just nominated. I can't remember. I was among the nominees. <laughs> um, and in my head, I was like, I'm going to win. And so I started writing an acceptance speech in my head. <laughs> just like so horribly arrogant. Um, and the amazing thing is that Molly Smith Metzler won it for this play, Cry It Out, which is yeah. about motherhood. And um, it. yeah, I haven't seen it either. I, but which is an amazing play and absolutely should have won that award. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, and it's such an important play. And like, I'm so happy that she won that and that that play won that award but in my mind I was like I'm gonna win (laughs) so I just started like writing this speech in my head because I was just thinking like if I win this like what will I use that money for um and I was like well child care (laughs) (laughs) and I don't know I just started thinking like what will I say because I don't want to just be like thanks uh and I so I like came up I was just like had this sort of like speech going on in my head and then of course I did not win which is fine (laughs) but I I just started thinking like um I should I'm still thinking about what I was gonna say and so I was like maybe I should just say it in another find another way to say it I don't have to have won an award and give a speech in front of a bunch of people but I could just um put it out there yeah, which of course I didn't consider. Um, so I just had it, it just was kind of on my mind and I just kept thinking about it. And also the experience I had on the West Coast um, left me pretty gutted. And I think I uh, was looking for a way to deal with that. Um, and uh, so I... I just went on HowlRounds. I, I think I was talking to Jen Silverman, who's a good friend of mine, about, uh, I don't know, we were just hanging out one night, and I, I don't know, lamenting some of the, how hard it is to travel for work, and I, I think I was like, should, I feel like I should write something about this, and she's like, you should. So I just went on HowlRounds site and just like pitched them the idea, um, and they said, we want you to do it. Um, so I was like, okay, now I have to do it. (laughs) And I, and they said, but we want you to frame the essay with solutions. Like we, we want you to have frame the thing as though here are my solutions to this problem. So I was like, okay, great. Um, and then I just, I wrote a really rough draft of just my, my solutions and then I talked to some other parent artists to sort of hear from them what they thought I mean a lot of them lined up with mine but some they also suggested things I hadn't thought of um so yeah I took all those thoughts that were sort of bubbling around in my head after having this really hard experience on the west coast doing world premiere and um this speech I never got to give (laughs) And then just um, a kind of a list of like, here's what we would ask for if we could from other parents. And and then just sent them a draft. And we went back and forth on it. It was, the essay originally was much longer and like a little, I would say, argue a little darker and a little angrier. Um, and I really had to edit it down for space, honestly. Um, and I, it was... I didn't realize at the time, but it was really scary to write it because I was like, oh, maybe as we were the day we were publishing it, I was like, oh, no, this is actually terrifying. I'm maybe these the I never name any theater because that's not really the point. Um, The point is that the problems are systemic, but I was worried that people were going to never hire me again. That hasn't happened, though. I haven't heard from anybody except for Jason Egan, who I almost only said good things about Ars Nova because they have only been so great to me. Um, but he, he really reached out right away and said, thank you for writing this. And we've been really working on these issues here. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I want to write more about it all, but, uh, maybe, I don't know. I want to write some things from hearing from fathers too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, there's so much more to say about all of it. I also would maybe want to do a, like another essay in September a year after and just see if anything's changed for people. Yeah. Um, cause I heard from so many strangers just reaching out. I mean, almost all mothers almost. I heard from one father, but a couple fathers, but kind of went yeah. Viral as opposed to like yeah. I don't have a sense cause I'm so bad at social media. <laughs> I like, I deleted my Facebook account cause I, just always makes me feel bad whenever I go on <laughs> again because I, I have trouble keeping my eyes on my own paper <laughs> but uh but then I was like I should probably rejoin so I can post this because I don't know how else to share it I don't have that many Instagram followers <laughs> so no, but it's a terrible I mean we talk about a lot of different a lot of different issues in the essay but the fact that I know for Frankie and I like we probably waited several years longer than we would have liked to to have kids just because we were so worried about how you would be perceived how or you'd be perceived or how opportunities we wouldn't be able to yeah. take. yeah yeah because we wouldn't be breaking even mm-hmm. <laughs> or we wouldn't I know um, be able to travel yeah or, you know we're very not that we have great finances but we're very fi- re- financially responsible yes so we didn't yes. want to have a child in a Unresponsible Unre- yep, way. absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I always get extremely excited when I see artist families. Me who too. Have kids yeah. Like, are figuring who are it out. Older than I am. And yeah. I can kind of look up to them. And yeah. Say, look, look, they did it. They did it. I know. <laughs> yeah. And there are those people. Yeah. But there aren't enough of them to. It's. I feel like sometimes we hide our kids because. We don't want people to see them as a weakness of some kind, which is so fucked up. But there was some, I don't remember who you said said this in the essay. Someone said like children are a fact. Yeah, children are a fact. It was in, uh, it was in a, um, uh, they did this profile of um, Alana Brownstein in American Theater Magazine. And she said that, I believe, or Kristen can't remember who said it and but it's in that it's in that profile yeah and I'm like I'm still such a new mom that we'll see right now I'm taking a break from auditioning Mm -hmm. yeah different kind of job but yeah for real yeah um I grew up home educated and so we just went everywhere with my mom right that was a big part of it was we were just always like in, and she was an entrepreneur, and she didn't have a tradition. She was a French teacher too. She didn't have a traditional. Oh, wow. Job, but we were just always like coloring in the back of the room, yeah. Whatever meeting she yeah. was in, or reading in the corner. Right. So that is your in the car, which evidently isn't allowed now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh my God, I know that's um, insane. So it doesn't seem that strange to me, but it it really it just isn't something that the modern world. No. Well, the modern world hates women. Yeah. <laughs> in general. I mean, that's a horrible generalization, but they do. Yeah, and that's the and basis of it all, really. Yeah. I think so. I mean, they want you to have your baby. They don't want you to ever have an abortion, but then they don't want to have to deal with you and your baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the general It's a horrible generalization, but I do think it stems from misogyny. And children are related to women. I mean, I I feel so ashamed, A, for not understanding what parents I've worked with were going through at the time. I just, I mean, when we did the first production of my play, Five Mile Lake, Daniela Topol directed, and she was in Orange County with me for five weeks while we, she had a, I think her daughter was maybe just two then. And she was just, um, she came out maybe a week or something but she was she spent so much time away from her family to do that job and then I remember when her daughter did come there wasn't like a space for her in the artist housing and they she they put like a pack and play in the bathroom (laughs) which is just so awful I mean just not good for sleep for anyone and sleep is such an important part of mental health I but I didn't and I you know at the time I was like oh it's so great that she's coming out but I had no idea like what sacrifices she was making just to show up to work and I'm very ashamed that I wasn't aware of that stuff but it's like as you know like until you are living it you just don't you can't imagine yeah you just can't imagine I think it's not to the full extent 
Yeah. But I wish I had just understood more. Um, And I don't know. I feel like as a, in my like 20s, I would just like see women with strollers in my neighborhood and like something about it annoyed me you know I was like move out of the way it was I was like you know what I mean and now I'm just like oh that was misogyny at work (laughs) in in me you know I feel like I've internalized so much like what about women with strollers was annoying to me or like what about them was in my way I mean because now I am the woman with the stroller and I'm so aware of myself feeling like I'm in the way sometimes, you know, of people. I mean, it's a busy city and people move quickly, but I don't know. I've become really aware of how much um, misogyny I have swallowed <laughs> over the years, you know. You can't help but twist it. Yeah, it yeah. Seeps in. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about the the books that we have, like we're – I feel like Robbie and I buy Quinn books every week because it's like I just we both love books so much we have so many books for him he also loves books but it's like the thing that I never feel bad buying so we just have so many of them but um so few female characters Mm -hmm. so few female protagonists I you know most of his books are about animals but they're always he and I know I was just thinking I'm sure people have said this before but we grew up learning from all the stories that we tell you and the books uh learning to identify with male characters we learn to empathize with men from like age zero but boys don't have as much of a chance to empathize with female characters playing out on what tv shows what movies are sold to the audiences and women are expected to yeah watch everything and then there's no reason for them to watch something yeah like female protagonist yeah we, we keep making a concerted effort to change the pronouns to she in a lot of the books like we have this whole construction site book about all the construction site vehicles like saying good night and robbie makes them all female <laughs> of course this doesn't even address the non-binary right you know transgender characters we don't you know that I keep thinking like how because we have all these books that are like this is a boy this is a girl and I was like we gotta get some more books because it's so much more complicated than this but and I'm not doing a good job of explaining that um but I just was thinking the other day about how all the stories I read growing up were mostly about boys and so I learned to empathize with them from day one this is a tangent <laughs> I don't know how I started talking about this but I don't know. Uh, so are there any resources that you found really helpful as a parent? As yeah. A so I haven't fully taken advantage of them yet, though I'm kind of starting to be an ambassador for the Parent Artist Advocacy League, PAL. Uh, and they are pulling together that they have this handbook about how to support parent artists and pregnant artists. Um, they have a whole lot of uh, written resources that they're creating are and they, based um, in New York City? they are based out of Philly okay. but they're kind of everywhere like uh, my friend Caro is an ambassador she's in Chicago they're there she they have people everywhere um a lot in New York Chicago Philly um and they're an amazing resource for anybody who's working in the performing arts um and parenting I would say particularly for actors but for everyone stage managers, designers, everyone, um, but started by an actor. So she's really sensitive to what it means to travel for work when you have Mm -hmm. children and all of that. So they're an amazing resource. And then, um, what else? I was saying I (laughs) went to a lot of (laughs) breastfeeding support groups, Mm -hmm. uh, in my, in, in Greenpoint, there's a place called Wild with Mama and they have, um, breastfeeding support group Wednesdays and Fridays and I went every week for many weeks because we had a very hard time for a long time Um, and then it worked itself out but man breastfeeding is I would say the most complicated thing I've ever done Hmm. and just for so many reasons 
I don't think I was prepared for how you much you have to give yourself over to it. Um, it's a huge, huge it is commitment. a huge commitment more than I ever realized. And I got a little bit dogmatic about it and was like super anxious about bottles and super anxious about formula and all of that was so much about postpartum anxiety, I think. Um, but also just about the fear of doing something wrong, which I think was just like the whole, I mean, I, I think that never stops. We're always right. just going to be like, am I doing this wrong? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Even most things, there is no right or wrong. Yeah, Something but I was really anxious. I was also really sleep deprived. And, you know, I was freaked out about him getting too into the bottle and not into breastfeeding. And then, and then of course, when I went back to work, like we hadn't done enough bottle feeding and he hated the bottle. And that was even more horrible because I was like I can't leave him he right. won't take a bottle it was like so much of that stress of my first job back was about feeling like I had failed my husband by not letting him do enough bottle feeding I had failed our kid by not preparing him for me to go back to work but I'd also it was like so mega failure it's so complicated and tiring and um you're just so physically tied to this this person that and if you're away from them there are physical consequences and that that is crazy that is I mean that bizarre. was it was so and it's such a visceral experience like we we only weaned just a little bit ago and I like and then weaning is a whole it's such a roller coaster it is truly the most complicated thing I've ever done I think I I finally like months after she was born went to see a play by myself and oh man the feeling of being a walking through this city yeah I was walking I think we, I went down to New York Theater Workshop mm-hmm. which was like far yeah oh my god yeah <laughs> it wasn't just like walking around the neighborhood no, and knowing yeah. I could get back yeah in 10 minutes. no you were in a whole other borough but to be walking through the city just as one person without yeah. her strapped to me or yeah. something which is the way I've done it for the past yep 13 years in yeah. New York City. Yeah. It just suddenly felt so bizarre. Yeah. You feel like you left your wallet at home or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and like wonderful, yeah. but then also that feeling of like, oh, if, if the MTA does something, if I don't get back yeah. in the right time, there are yeah. these consequences. Yeah. yeah. It's so scary. Yeah. Um, Very bizarre. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and just the working and breastfeeding is really there um adrian alice hansel who is the literary manager at studio theater was like incredibly supportive of me she has two children um she sent me this book called work pump repeat and that is a really great book for anyone who's dealing with pumping while working and um i found that really helpful what else How have you yeah. been feeling since, um, like, how are you feeling now since putting out that essay in September? Do you feel like any of your um, approaches to these conversations with employers I, have changed or just your Yeah, I've, I've consciously tried to talk about my kid more. And yeah. um, when I'm, people are asking me about, can you come out for this? Can you come out for that? I, I always say I have to figure out childcare. I'm trying to just mention childcare always so that it doesn't become this thing that I'm ashamed of. Um, just becomes normal every day. Like right. the same as somebody saying like, I have to rearrange my other meeting. Like it just right. to have it be a, just a normal detail of everyone's lives. Um, so I, I've consciously tried to do that. That's great. Yeah. And you know, like I'm going out to Chicago in a few weeks just to do some casting for a play that'll be in the fall. And they were so awesome when they were asking me to come out there. Like we read your essay. Do you want to bring your kid? We'll figure out like, let's figure out your housing if you want to bring them. And just the fact that they offered, I, of course, was like, no, thank you. I would like to come by myself um, <laughs> because we can we were able to figure that out with our schedules. But the fact that they offered was so huge. huge. That's 
great. Was so huge. And that it was part of the conversation at all was so huge. That meant so much to me. And uh, just hearing from other women who've, who've written me has been, you know, just makes you feel less alone. Yeah. Yeah, also, I enjoy helping people. And I think in this business, you spend so much time working on yourself and thinking about yourself and how your career is doing and how, um, you know, it can be so you can have such tunnel vision and it can be so selfish the whole thing. And so it's been really nice to feel like I'm doing a little bit of something for other people. I was really amazed when like leading up to when Ceci was born and right after like how many friends, but also like acquaintances in the theater reached yeah. out to me. Yeah. Be, like who other moms, other parents yeah. to be like, if you need anything. Yeah. And these are people that, you know, I might see once a year yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just sending me really intimate, lovely yeah. emails. Yeah. Saying. Because <laughs> it really is hard. this like weird cult that you really join. Sweet. My friend Sarah Gancher, who's a playwright also, she <laughs> when I was pregnant, she was like, this kid, she's like, you have the baby and it's basically like you join a cult and they just break you down <laughs> to zero and then they build you back up as a parent. And I, that is exactly <laughs> the experience. But you do kind of join this cult yeah. that you can't possibly understand until you're really in That's it. That's how people describe grad school. <laughs> <laughs> it's similar, yeah. They, they just break again. you down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's two questions I normally yeah. ask at the end, unless there's anything I skipped that you really wanted to touch on. Um, I know we've been all over the place and... Jeez, I'll just give a shout out to Robbie, my husband, for being such a, I mean, we we're just talking a lot about women and mothering and yeah. that is a huge subject, but um, I feel like I've been able to figure out working because he is so, um, he is as invested in my work as I am. And that's so huge. Yeah, I feel like the saddest part of us becoming parents is that we don't get to like see each other's work as much. Right. <laughs> like it's I used to go to out. every single one of his shows, um, and now I, it's like few and far between, and that's sad. Um, but he's very invested in me, in in me, but in in my work too, and that that's so important. And he's also, you know, spends so much time doing child care as well so yeah lovely yeah i'll just give him a shout out (laughs) (laughs) uh so the first of these two questions is when you are in that dark place or feeling uninspired or Mm -hmm. just kind of low are there any concrete things that you go back to again and again i think reading is reading just reading reading uh fiction i think just reading something in another genre is really helpful i usually go to fiction but also i don't know robbie gave me the david sedaris book the latest david sedaris book and like that's been really i don't know i I love him and (laughs) i only just started the newest book but it's also it's so funny but also dealing with some with suicide and um dark stuff and uh but I find reading it re-inspires me just reading other people what other people usually just fiction I don't want to read plays (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it I feel like I get I'll start to try to write that play I I I, it's better for me to read to read yeah fiction usually yeah or and then I would say just I'm doing something physical I like to run I don't get to do it as much anymore because it's just tough to to like am I going to work today or am I going to exercise? And I usually have to choose one, but, um, and I usually choose work, but I do think physical, just like shaking yourself up physically is, is usually open something. It opens some kind of, yeah, hole to the, to the other world. <laughs> I, I do think it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then finally, have you seen anything recently of Man. any art form that you want to recommend? Ooh, that's good. I don't see nearly enough. What? Uh, well, okay. I saw the Oklahoma 
that was at St. Anne's. We missed it. We're going, but, but it'll be on Broadway. Is getting us tickets for Christmas to the Broadway. Okay, show. that was just one of the best things I've ever seen. I just thought Yay. it was so. I mean that. It is such a weird show, and I I didn't realize I didn't remember that, and then I watched the movie when I was a kid. Yeah, and I remember it being strange. It's strange, and it's it's really I'd say an important piece of art right now it, and it's just it's so good and everyone in it is so good and all the design is so good uh, I loved it I loved okay. that um and then I would I saw um usual girls that roundabout underground that's Ming out Pfeiffer so yeah and get a um, to try to see it I thought that was just excellent okay. and I'm still thinking about it speaking of misogyny that you internalize it, okay. it 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 really does a good job of showing day. how early that starts and how i think the last line of the play is like it never fucking stops oh. and i it's it's a i mean especially if you're a parent to a, a girl um what a boy too just it's a it's it was really well done and i'm thinking about it a lot still i hope it'll have another life yeah, I hope so. I'd love yeah. to see it. Well, Rachel, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of the Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content, and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, Audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.